Hello and welcome. This is season two of The Road Provides, a travel podcast for the next generation of travelers, adventurers, and vagabonds. I'm your host, Bradford Clement. Joining me on this Uber ride through the travel world is my co-host, Nate Sundermeyer, a.k.a. the Kevin Federline of travel. We're bringing in another guest this week, this time to discuss moving abroad, the challenges you face while doing so, and being a woman on the road. So buckle up your ears. This is The Road Provides. Is Kevin Federline still alive? (laughs) Road Provides! The Road motherfucking road provides again welcome everybody thanks for joining us for another episode this is episode five of season two we're starting really getting into the the thick of it um and we're bringing half we're rolling back we're bringing a sister of the pod in spoiler alert uh, it's not brad (laughs) which i'm really excited about Nate, what's going on, man? What's happening in Denver? What's happening in in your life? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I, I am a realtor. Being a podcaster is not my first job, uh, but I've been doing a lot of driving, and specifically out in East Denver, kind of where you don't even see the mountains. You're, like, in the plains. And I have spent a lot of time looking around, being like, where does the road provide out here? And can I be honest? For a second there, for a good bit of that, I was not finding it. <laughs> Do you is the boom in Denver still happening? Do you? Yeah, is, I mean, there's this sense all of, the all the new construction. You can't move west because of the mountains, but all the all out east, it's uh, it, honestly we talk about traveling. It feels like you're going to a different city when you're out there in those uh, eastern parts. I don't think anyone listening to this is like, wow, I really wanted to live in Aurora, but now Nate on the podcast talked me out of it. But <laughs> do yeah, you, it's definitely are, a bit different. Is there this sense in Denver where people are are tapped out? Where they're just like, enough's enough. Like, stop moving here. A realtor, you have to have like your few go-to jokes and you're kind of like, oh, wow, that's like kind of cheesy, but haha, it works. You're like, I don't want to use the C word, Californians. And people are like, <laughs> oh man. And they get people around wild up. It's like going to a taxi. I think you told me to do this. You're like, you go to a taxi in New York and you're like, man, Uber's killing in the business. And it just gets people riled up, but I kind of enjoy doing that. But I talk about Californians is like the, the easy button, but what's going on with you? It's funny. It's the same out here in Montana. There's bumper yeah. stickers where it's like go back to fucking California, and it gets it gets gnarly, particularly in the heights of of travel season and tourist season here in the winter, but particularly mm-hmm. in the summer, where you can just sense this this enough is enough. We don't want you anymore. Go back to Texas, which is a big one for us here. Go back to California, and then go back to Washington. 100%. And it's and it's odd. I felt that a little bit in in Washington D.C. Come the end of tourist season in spring or the end of summer, everybody's just ready to have their city back. Yeah. Um, and that's different for people. You know, a lot of people moving to Denver here. It's just a lot of people vacationing and coming here for a couple of weeks and using our town for for whatever and then leaving. So it's interesting to kick about. Otherwise, man, I'm good. We're at the end of ski season. Speaking of tourist season. My body's barely holding up. I am literally. I have hit forty. I am literally falling apart. I could barely walk for the last week, and my buddy was like, "Hey, bro, you know, you've got this little leg. Just ski through it, bro." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna fucking ski through it." And four days after skiing through it, I was like, "Oh, you know, I could." I'm I shouldn't to, have skied through it. I'm starting to feel it, and uh, as much as I love skiing, maybe I am ready for 
for summer. Next, yeah, for me, I I was looking at summer. I was thinking tennis, thinking blading, all of it. Um, speaking of heating up, uh, I think it's it's time to move on to the old travel takes, which let's, let's as as promised gets hot. So, Brad, what do you have for me this week? All right, this week I want to start off the hot take a little different. I want to start with a question that I've got a lot over this last year. So, Nate, I pose to you: Yes or no? Do you miss traveling? Yes. Okay. It's kind of what I expected. So it's a natural question for two guys hosting a travel podcast. <laughs> uh, if the answer if the answer is not yes, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I get it. I'm in the travel guy box. It's what I've been doing for 15 years. It's how people identify uh, find me. So my answer to the question is, if I wanted to be traveling, I would be traveling. Ooh, oh. that, that sounds like a dick answer. I'm kind of a dick, but that's a, that's a whole nother hot take and discussion. <laughs> but also at first glance, that response signals quite a bit of privilege and entitlement, which I think travel inherently implies, right? And I'd be a fool not to acknowledge that. But on a deeper level, I think it re- reveals a greater truth that I hold for travel and for life. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes, I said it, Nate. I said life. Uh, that truth being is, uh, that truth is, excuse me, be where you are. I learned a long time ago that longing or missing something is the death of adventure. On the road, it's the death of travel. How can you enjoy, like fully fucking enjoy, the beaches of Thailand if you're missing your girlfriend back home? How can you stand in front of Michelangelo's David in amazement if you're longing to be at a Taylor Swift concert in Nashville, how can you savor a delicious Indian curry in Delhi if you're craving a double bacon cheeseburger? It's simple. You fucking can't. I don't miss traveling now for the same reason I don't miss home when I'm traveling because it's the death of enjoyment. It's sacrificing what you have now, the present moment, for the theoretical what could be. And I'm telling you, I've done it. That's not the way to live or travel. Nate, are you joining me on this <laughs> yes, deep I, I spiritual exploration of, of a question? Uh, there's, I, we could have a whole episode on this because I, there's, when I was, when we were 17, my family and I did a big trip. We were, you know, were going through a number of countries and I was like, man, I really can't wait for this next country. And my sister goes, Nate, you're in Sydney, Australia enjoy it. And it like, I remember that hit me like a ton of bricks. I also think right now in COVID, and I think a lot of my travel takes have kind of had the same theme that you're touching on here, which is find a happiness in this place, find an enjoyment with where you're at. There's other ways to be stimulated. And I think I've really, I never thought I'd be in a city for this long in my twenties, but I've loved it. And I've like, there's so many benefits of finding place here. And having friends and having my parents an hour away. And, you know, there's some really great things and I've got new hobbies. Like I got a motorcycle to kind of scratch that little itch of travel. But at the same time, day in and day out, I'm happy to be in a place. I think there's something to acknowledge here. There can be deficits when you're traveling, right? Mm -hmm. There can be discrepancies that you find on the road as you oppose them to your life back home. And one of them is community. The sense of your friends, your neighbors, your family, things like that. It'd be really isolating. The, yeah. When you're on the road, you don't have that. And so that's a that's a real that's a real deficit and something that you may miss or that that might not be a part of you that hurts. 
right? Mm-hmm. That you that you want to create or have on the road. And so you can find those things on the road that they, they take a little work. But I think for me to fully enjoy traveling, if we're putting this into the travel realm, you've got to make sure that you are where you are when you're doing it. And I learned this in the beginning, in my first time abroad, I moved to Spain to study abroad. I was living in Sevilla. We're studying, we're partying, we're hanging out, we're meeting new friends, creating that community I was talking about, finding new relationships. And I had a great time. But then I looked at some of my compatriots oh, is going. Yes. in class and they were just miserable because the whole time they were talking about, oh, my girlfriend back home or oh, my boyfriend back home, or they were missing out on... Some, some fraternity formal, yeah, yeah or some, some something that's very like basketball game yeah. or, or some shit, and they were missing what was there in front of them, which is a once in time, once in a lifetime experience in Sevilla, Spain, where there's other sports going on and there's other relationships and other music and other food. Yeah. Who cares about the game you've already been to? You can go down the street and see Sevilla play Barcelona. Yes, and it's probably going to be a thousand times better in terms of atmosphere. So I'm just trying to articulate this bigger idea and hundred percent. It was amazing. The click that happened for me back when I did that. And it was a lesson I carried with me for, for the rest of my travel career. And it hurt, it hurt at times because when I went to go traveling and I had goals to, to accomplish out on the road, I told friends and family members and girlfriends, Hey, listen, I love you, but I'm not going to talk to you for the next three months. And that's yeah. that's a little harsh. I didn't completely shut people out, but I say, hey, you know, when I go somewhere, I'm there to be there and there mm-hmm. for a reason. And that was naturally is going to create a detachment so I can be absorbed and consumed, if you will, in the moment and, and what's happening while I'm there. 100%. I think, you know, I'm my mind is very like, bop, boop, boop, boop. Like I'm very, I, I have a very hard time staying present and I know so much you must make fun of me that I love riding scooters and motorcycles through these places. But for me, that's the best way for me to find presence. And I think that is why it's so intoxicating and why I like that. And no matter where I am, it's some, whatever new road I'm on, whatever vehicle I'm driving, that feeling of presence is the, that's the majority of not the majority, but that's one of the big reasons I like to travel is that stimulation and ability to find presence. But I don't know. You just kind of find ways to do that, whether you're on the road or at home. I think that's awesome that you've found that and that you understand that about yourself. And I would suggest for anybody who travels to find find their way to, way to be present. Because yeah. there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, I don't subscribe to the getting on a scooter or a motorcycle, <laughs> yeah. but I've found other ways. And, and even if they're boring, we've mentioned this before in previous podcasts, like if you're on a nine-hour bus ride, I turn the phone off. I don't want to text people back home and be in that world. I just set the phone down. I either read a book or I just look out the window, strike up a conversation with a neighbor. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. I just think it's really important in this lens of travel that that you find that and you are where you are. So anyways, 100%. Let's, let's switch it up. Nate, yep. what All right, is well, your gonna, hot take this week? I'm going from the big to the small. Um, <laughs> hot take. Brad is a dick. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do you like that. Uh, here I go. Fanny packs are legit. If you're not painfully American like me, I'm talking about bum bags. Let it be known. When I first got to Asia as a 22 year old green banana, I looked at the English and Aussie guys and I said in their native tongue, "Wankers." 
I was having none of it. But then I would turn around and then I'd pat myself down in anguish, be like, where do I put my shit? My swim shorts only have one little pocket. So I've aged, I've wisened up. I've also developed a wild rollerblading habit, which I think goes hand in hand with fanny pack usage. (laughs) Do you have money? Do you have a wallet? Throw it in your hip luggage. Have a phone, maybe a camera you want to have quick access to. Do me a favor and toss them down in the infinite abyss that is your bum bag. Do you have a cheeky road beer but nowhere to put it? You know where to go. It's the AK-47 of accessories. Practical, reliable, and it might scare some people away. But Brett, I want to take a step back here and look at the real importance of the fanny pack. More than practicality, it sends a beacon, like a bat signal with straps on it, up into the sky that says, I don't take myself too seriously, and I'm down to get down. It's the Hawaiian shirt that isn't trying as hard. I don't care if it's over your shoulder or rocking around your hips like a 90s dad. Fanny packs bring the heat. Come on. Are you with me, Brad? (laughs) You touched on what kills me here, and that's the rocking on your hips like a 90s dad. I have to hard pass on the fanny pack because I lived through the 90s, Nate. You didn't live through the 90s. You didn't see how how awful what this turned into, how it spiraled. If rollerblading can come back, then so can fanny packs. The fluorescent carnage that existed (laughs) on the hips of 90s dads and kids, it just got out of control. And I can't go back down that road again. I can't. I'm I'm scarred. I had one in 2010 when I would look at our high school football games and it would be August in Arizona. So I'd have like a water, um, you know, some little tchotchkes, maybe a snack. I think this the snack, where else are you going to put a snack? If you don't want to carry a backpack, just ch- pack that thing full of snacks and you're ready to rock. I honestly, I didn't like the look of them over the shoulder. I also felt like it was just kind of like a bigger representation of the lads on tour. So I'm saying I, I didn't really come off as hot as need be, but put them around your hips. I'm actually going to go a step further and say put them around your hips because that says I don't care. And you know what? <laughs> it, it, I've gone in with jackets and then like I've been going to pay at the store. I unzip my jacket and have the fanny pack and I could just tell people going, is he really doing this? But I go, yeah, I am. It's it's comfort. It's pride. And it, you know what? I think it's a lot more practical and secure than some purses, backpacks. It's right in your front. You know, you can tighten it up and do lots of physical activities with it. Basketball. Uh, I don't know if you're into that kind of thing. Basketball <laughs> on a fanny pack. Uh, I, I will say, though, it is an incredible flex. And it's almost like the um, the fashion accessory of the phrase, come at me, bro. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, invi- it's like, what do you want? I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah. Say something. I don't care. You know what's funny? It just came to me. Is I think this kind of falls into the same category as the neck pillow. I'm okay with with you wearing fanny packs or bum bags in situations that that call for them that warrant them. Yeah. If you're rollerblading, fucking fanny pack it up. If you're you know, if you're rock climbing. Bang. Go for it. Jump on it. You're going to need a place to put Going things. to the bar for a few beers? No. No. no, no <laughs> don't no, do it. No, no, no. So, imagine if you were imagine if you were a girl or a guy and you were talking with whatever sex you're interested in and you like we're talking to them really like flirty, it's going really well. They stand up from the bar and are wearing a fanny pack? I don't know. Is that a deal breaker? It is. For me, it's it's like... <laughs> I actually think I might be more attracted. I'd be like, wait, 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 hold on a second. You're telling me she's this cool? And she's wearing a fanny pack? No, that's like when it's... Mom, when, I found the one. <laughs> it's like when a girl steps on an airplane, you've been looking at her all flight, and you're like, I'm I'm into it. And then she stands up, and you see her feet, and she's wearing Skechers? No. no. <laughs> done. 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 She, done. Done. She heals her way off the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Anyways, I think I think they're back. I think you should wear them. Go for it. But let's move on to this big meaty chunk. <laughs> let's do it. Let's get into. Um, we're we're gonna stop being coy about our guests, Nate. How about you do the honors of introing us? I am pleased to introduce my sister, Taylor Sundermeyer. Round of applause. Wow. Yay! And here's here's a little bit of an intro. If you don't know who Taylor is, here's who she is. Objectively. Taylor has been to 60 plus countries, has lived in five of them, and has done it all her own way. Since graduating from the Colorado State University in 2015, she has rocked a working holiday visa in New Zealand, taught English in South Korea, gallivanted around Asia, and has completed her master's in the UK where she now resides with her man bun boyfriend, Rory. (laughs) Subjectively, I would not be recording this podcast without my older sister. Taylor not only paved the way for me to get out and about in the world, but had friends and connections that made my experiences that much easier and that much better. She enhanced everything I've ever done. I think I speak for both of us when I say we're excited to have Taylor on the pod and get into the mind of such a well-versed travel warrior. Welcome, Taylor. Welcome, oh my Taylor. Gosh, hi. I that's just a bit speechless, Nate. That's so nice. I know, yeah, don't usually, yeah, it's a very weird, weird, uh, you know, kind of relationship thing with a sibling that you don't usually get to do. You know, one has a podcast, the other one introduces them. It's like <laughs> not exactly run of the mill action. He's he set the bar pretty high though, so uh, Taylor, don't uh, don't screw this up. I know the, <laughs> the worst time... thing to say, worst thing to say for someone's first time on a podcast. Well, the next time we talk on the phone, I'll just give you an intro. Just in a conversation between <laughs> great, us, great. Too. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's nice. Or maybe who knows? This will inspire you to start your own podcast. <laughs> I don't know. You guys set the bar pretty high yourselves. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah, happy to have you. Thanks for joining us. For sure, it's. Uh, I kind of feel like bringing guests on this early and doing this is a little bit like guinea pig ish, and I'm I'm super nervous about interviewing friends and family members or whatever. Mm. So thanks for crossing this threshold with us. <laughs> We'll all get through this together. All right, so we want to talk about travel and your role in it. Nate kind of prepped us for some of what you've accomplished, but I want to pinpoint some things here. So I want to talk about this leap abroad that you've made. You graduated college. You were doing the corporate car wash, right? Resumes, interviews, et cetera. You even took out your nose ring, which you told us. Um, But then an idea takes hold. A dream takes hold. New Zealand. (laughs) You research the idea, you start communicating the dream, and then next thing you know, you've got a work holiday visa and you're moving to New Zealand for a year. What's caused this shift for you, this leap, and why New Zealand? Yeah, it's it's funny looking back on it now because I think at the time, I just got this idea and it was like a seed and I just couldn't let go of it. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that New Zealand came about Nate and I and our family had gone on a trip four years previous to that. So in 2011 and just fell in love with it. Like it was the one place I had always wanted to go at that point in my life. And when we got there, it was just like, oh, this place is amazing for all of the reasons, right? The people, the scenery, everything. It was just- And that was in the middle of winter too. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so like I had thought about it. And like you said, I just knew that it wasn't time for me to go on to this corporate journey, right? And I had always done the rules and followed the rules and you get good grades in high school. So you get into a good college, you do well in college, so you get a good job and on and on and on in this like cycle of taking these steps that you think you need to do. And for some reason, this seed was just planted of that's not for you right now. And I think I mentioned to you before, but 
I don't remember the moment when I decided, but it was just when I had decided there was no going back. And it was just, this is going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. And I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but I'm going to take this leap. I remember what I said when you first said you're going to move to New Zealand. It was uh, completely unrelated. Do you think you're going to leave your car here in the States? <laughs> um, but as you started communicating this, uh, this dream move to New Zealand, do you think you got some opposition, some people who are like, what and why? And what? how'd that kind of go and how did that play into your role mm-hmm. of actually leaving? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because just like I said, there's like stairs that you climb up, right? There's like societal stairs of what you need to do next. And what's next after you get a four-year degree, which it makes sense, right? You get a job. And many times to pay off the degree you've just earned. And again, just want to acknowledge I didn't have student loans. And I think that's a huge point of privilege that doesn't allow everyone to be able to just leave and, and start a new life somewhere else. But I was terrified to tell people because I knew what it sounded like. I knew that people would respond with this like, oh, you know, like not saying anything bad, but just that tone. And I'm sure both of you have heard that uh, a few times in your lives when you start sharing these maybe alternative plans or routes. But it was so hard for me to just like say it. And so that's why I just wanted to get it out and just start practicing and like hearing my own voice say it confidently rather than like minimizing myself. Right. So if you ask me the first time to be like, oh, yeah, like um, I'm going to move to New Zealand. I was embarrassed almost, even though I knew this was the right choice and I knew it was what I wanted to do. But I was just worried about how it would be perceived because it wasn't within the norm. Part of me when it comes to that is they just, my friends couldn't connect to that dream yeah, or to that yeah. decision. And that's a, that's a break, you know, in friendship or your mm-hmm. relationship. When your friends are, are unable to connect that way, then it just creates a natural, and a I natural disruption. Yeah. yeah. Kind of thinking about all these things that you're, you know, people's positive reactions, negative reactions, you finally get to New Zealand. And after all this hype up, all this uh, speculation. What was it like when you first got there? Did you have like a, holy shit, what have I just done? And what happened when you first got there? It was such a blur. I remember distinctly I arrived in the morning and, you know, didn't sleep much. So I was jet lagged and kind of in this fog and I had booked two things. So I had booked a van to my accommodation and I had booked my accommodation, which was a room in an Airbnb, which was the first time I'd ever stayed by myself in an Airbnb. So thinking back on that is just a bit surreal. And I dropped my bags, you know, got ready, walked out onto the high street or the main street and was just like, I, I can't even, I was just in a fog. I felt like I was sleepwalking almost. So I walked into a bank. I opened a bank account. I walked into the phone store, uh, got a new SIM card, had a bit of a crisis because I got rid of my American SIM card and this phone number that I'd had since I was 13 and this part of my identity, um, you know, just was like walking through some of the retail shops, just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Right? Like, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a plan. I don't know anyone. Like, how do I spend my days? I went out for lunch and ate for the very first time by myself, right? At 22, I'd never been out to eat before by myself. And like ordered my sandwich and sat there and felt really self-conscious. Like, oh my gosh, are people looking at me because I'm by myself? Why would I eat by myself? Why would I choose to do that? Even though now it's one of the things I love most to do. But at the time, like I just, 
it's surreal. It was just this haze. I don't know, as uncomfortable as it was, I just had this sense of like, I'm doing it. This is what I need to be doing is to feel this like discomfort in all of these things, right? That I wouldn't get if I was at home. Yeah. And it's funny, you mentioned the eating by yourself when Nate and I have talked about this a little bit. That's just one of the first barriers to entry <laughs> to this new, you know, to this new living abroad travel mm -hmm. thing. The moment you can start doing that or you break through that and become comfortable with it it's like all right you know yeah. i've got this the yeah. new confidence but it's nothing it's so strange because it's nothing you would ever do back home when's the last time like where you grew up you just like i'm gonna go to chipotle and eat there by myself yeah what you weirdo yeah why, why would you go by yourself you'll like now, eat in the car before you eat in the in the restaurant yeah. right yeah because who eats by themselves like that weirdo yeah, but, <laughs> but now now i do it all the time yeah um real quick before we get too far into this experience i want people to under listeners to understand this concept of the work holiday visa for new zealand i know they have it in australia as well how easy was that process for you to figure out how to legally move to New Zealand and work there. Don't You don't have to get in too much of the specifics, mm. but just kind of quickly, was it hard? Was it easy? What was that process like? The info gathering, probably five minutes and the application, yep. probably five more. So did you do the application online? Yeah, exactly. So for certain nationalities, Americans included, um, it was a free application, do it online. There are like how-to guides online. And I think, again, because of technology, it does just make everything more accessible, right? So I wouldn't have Absolutely. been able to do this process or been able to do it as easily or felt as comfortable doing it if it was 20 years ago, right? Before we could Google and find 10 different articles about it. So 100%. yeah, really do, easy. Do you remember how long it took to get approved? Uh, it took me four days. I applied on a Thursday, got it on Monday. And I was like, that was, I like, I struggle with things like this. And I was like, that was pretty easy. <laughs> that, that almost seems yeah. too easy. Well, I think well, mine was under two days. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing about where we are now, as far as traveling and, and living abroad and trying some of these things, is that the barrier to entry is so much mm. lower than it yeah. was before. And all this information is just readily available. People have paid the path. Luckily yeah. for me, it was literally Taylor. It was like, <laughs> Nate, it was easy. It's all good. You can do yeah. it. And I had known someone who was doing it at the time that I had applied and had just messaged him on Facebook and said, how's it going? It's, how was it to apply and all of that? But I think too, just even having an American passport, because obviously it's not the same for all countries. So that in itself is um, kind of a gateway to the world. So I feel really lucky for, sure. for that. I, From what I know about the Australia one, it's same thing. You apply online, you can hear back and get approved within seven to 10 days. They do a 12 month visa there. Right. And all you have to do is prove that you have $4,000 US in savings. Mm -hmm. And then bang, you know, you're on from there. And then when you're there, we talked about this a little bit. You said you did, you worked in a bank, right? And then you did some retail stuff. As far as jobs people find when they do something like this, it can be pretty much open-ended, right? From waiting tables to working retail, stuff like that. Yeah. I think a lot of people do either seasonal work, which is Nate did picking, that. Yeah. Picking fruit. Yeah. Cots uh, and chaises. <laughs> or um, lots of like hospitality cafes, restaurants and stuff. I just happened to get a, um, like a temp job in a bank that was full-time, but there's, my experience was that there were loads of positions open and yeah, it was fairly easy to get a job since you have the right to work there. 
do you guys remember so in australia they issue these what are called a visas if you're 30 or under yeah was new zealand something the same, same thing yeah. yeah yeah exactly so I, i think you're out of luck there brad Oh, I'm yeah, I'm way out of bounds on that. But, uh, any, anybody listening, if if mm. you know, if you're under your under thirty, or you have friends or siblings or something who are, it's still it's still fair game. Obviously, what we're looking at in this pandemic climate that has kind of changed stuff. We don't know what that will look like over the next eight to twelve months, if they're even accepting applications for this stuff. But um, I just feel like getting some of the specifics out there. Would be helpful for anybody who'd consider this or, or, or thinking about it uh, to dig a little deeper into this experience and juxtapose it to being here in the states. What were some big victories that you had living abroad that might not seem so big if you were living in the states? You know, we talked about that eating by yourself. Is mm -hmm. there anything else that kind of? Yeah, I mean, I think there's loads of little things every day that now are just normal, but at the time were big, like eating out. It was the first time that I had backpacked by myself. So I did a month on the South Island at the end of my year there. And that was kind of like I say that New Zealand was like the gateway drug to living in other countries. But that month long backpacking trip by myself was what just opened up my eyes to what I was capable of and what I wanted to like outside of that, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to travel and that I knew I could do it by myself. I think in general, though, like. Just the idea of being able to start a new life is really scary. And I was really lucky and met really amazing people, some of which are still my best friends today. Just building the community somewhere else from scratch was, I can't even explain it. It was just like, I feel so proud of that now because I very well could have arrived and floundered and stayed in my room all the time and not, I don't know, put myself out there and... I think we're always faced with those choices, even at home or wherever we call home, but just taking the conscious effort and making the choice that maybe doesn't always feel so comfortable. Yeah. Is there is there anything you would caution people about doing something like this? Were there any pitfalls that you do or mistakes that you don't want to see other people make or things that people should be aware of? Anything stick out in that regard? <sighs> Um, for some reason, my first thought went to like Tinder horror stories or like, you know, if you're a female traveler alone and you go to meet someone on a date, like just being smart and meeting in a public place, not to say not to do those things, but sure. right. Tell someone where you're going, either someone in New Zealand or a friend back home, just some kind of accountability, meet in a public place, like don't go somewhere by yourself with someone that you don't really know. And I think those bits, like really anything internet related, right? If it's a meetup, make sure it's a big meetup with more people. But sure. What about getting hammered on your first night in a new <laughs> country, Nate? <laughs> oh. no, uh, I'm joking. But uh, I would, I have something I would caution people uh, about is when you Let's do something it, like this, don't get stuck in um, the ex don't just get stuck hanging out with other Americans or other people totally. kind of doing the same 100%. thing with you, yeah. uh, try to reach out and branch out and find activities with locals and see if you can get into the local culture economy, even if it's work related, just put yourself out there and don't get stuck hanging out with other hundred percent. Yeah. Americans I think or foreigners. The best, 
thing about my year there, and I think this is similar to Taylor, is that my best friends were Kiwi. I dated a Kiwi. Like it was all about how can I be like a fake New Zealander? Like I probably was trying too hard. <laughs> and my Kiwi you, friends listened to You like, yeah, tried too hard? I definitely tried. <laughs> Me? Um, I, anyway, so yeah, <clears throat> kind of transitioning, kind of wrapping up um, your time in New Zealand. You know, I remember when you went on that month by yourself in uh, <laughs> in the South Island, mom and dad were like, oh my goodness, she's by herself in the South Island. I, I, now looking back and I, you're like, hold, like just hold on because it's about to get a whole lot crazier for, from your children. <laughs> um, but how did you, how did you feel when you left and what kind of momentum did you have when you went back to the States? In short, I felt like I could do anything. And I know that that sounds extreme, yes. <laughs> but I just felt like if I can move to this country, start a new life, start a life that I love and am proud of and find people that I love and just like the full whole life and build it from nothing, I, I can do anything. And I, it's funny because I was going back today and looking through some of my old travel journals and I found this line from 2017. And it said, I firmly believe that because of my experience in New Zealand, it catapulted me into a mindset that I can go anywhere in the world and create a life. And it's like, it did. It just. <laughs> That's sick. Rocket fuel, man. Hear me roar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, honestly, and we can talk more about like kind of what's expected of us as people and as we get older, but on the path are those milestones that you need to hit, like buying a house or getting married or all of these things, or, you know, getting a new car and all these things. And when I left New Zealand, I didn't have any of that, but I had internalized all of this strength and resilience and problem solving that I carry everywhere now. Right. And I cannot imagine anything more that I would want from would have wanted from a year away. So it just changed everything. It absolutely changed everything for me. And I'm so unbelievably grateful for that experience and for the people that I met who just took me in. Cause I guess that's the thing too, is that even if you put yourself out there all the time, especially with locals, it may be that it doesn't work out and that's okay. And maybe you do end up hanging out with the um, other expats and all of that stuff. But I was just welcomed so warmly and it just made it feel like home. So. All right. So transitioning out of New Zealand, we have left where you have left (laughs) on this, on this journey we're talking about. You're, you end up back in New York, New York city, just outside of New York city, I guess. Right. Strong Island, strong Island. You're surrounded by family. You're living the sex in the city life. (laughs) This your analogy, not mine. Uh, You're comfortable. Correct. More or less. Yeah. My parents were kind enough to take me back in for a few months. So you're on familiar ground. And then here comes South Korea. We touched on how difficult a process it was to move across the world once, right? We just got finished talking about it. Why on earth do it twice? (laughs) You know, it's, it's leveling up. That's what I was thinking about today is that I was able to have this amazing experience, right? And move abroad. And when I came home, you're right. And it was great to one, be back with family and see friends and right, have a steady job and all of those things. But 
I just knew like, it's like momentum, right? And I felt like I had all this momentum. And as I stayed in New York, I felt like I was slowing down and not in life, but that I knew it would be harder and harder to extract myself to move somewhere else. And I knew that I still wanted to, and I wanted it to be somewhere different, much different than New Zealand or the States. My criteria was like some language where I didn't speak the language, preferably where I maybe didn't look like I was from there just because I had never experienced that. And I think that's a discomfort that I think everyone should probably have, even if you're not living somewhere, but to travel somewhere else where you're the one that stands out. And like me as a white woman, I can blend in in a lot of places and no one would question where I was from, but and so I wanted Korea? <laughs> yep, you got <laughs> you it. Might, ding, ding, ding. You might st- you might stand out a little bit. Uh, and I did, especially with uh, red hair. But yeah, and I like teaching English is something that I think is a great ticket to go to a lot of different places across the world. But I wanted to be in a developed place, and you know, still thinking about financial and setting myself up. And it just landed on South Korea. Had never been there. Had only been to China and Asia before. Um, so it's a bit of a roll of the dice and rogue now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> when when you decided to teach English, was the goal to teach or was it just the vehicle to get you living abroad again? The latter. Yeah, 100%. And and not that, like, I think teaching is amazing. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I just have so much respect for teachers everywhere because it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. Like out of all of my travels, that was so, so tough. But I knew that maybe teaching wasn't a career move and it was more of the vehicle to get me there. So yeah, you're absolutely right. When you actually got there, what did your life, you got kind of thrown into this obviously very different culture, but what did your life look like as an English teacher in Seoul? It was hectic. And one thing to know, just I think about teaching in Korea in general, you get 10 days off a year, which actually I guess is comparable to corporate life in America, plus like public holidays. But it was like 12 months, 52 weeks of like nonstop. So you just get thrown in. Like I had one day of training at my school, uh, had done a TEFL, an online TEFL for like 150 US dollars. So yeah, I got there, got thrown into my classroom and was just like left with this class of 12 four-year-olds who didn't speak English and oh boy just like shit <laughs> good <bed>. luck <laughs> because it, like it was just so crazy it's so crazy that like they just like leave surreal. you in charge with these like tiny humans and again on the other end of it it was like such a beautiful experience i love those children more than anything like it was just the joy of a lifetime to be able to spend time with them um and just see them grow up cuz they're so small but it's it's wild it is so wild and you get partnered with a Korean teacher. And so I became really, really close with my Korean teacher and we were just partners in crime in this crazy journey, but it's hard. It's really long hours. Teaching itself is exhausting. Yeah. And it's also, it's also not like picking fruit in New Zealand then either. It's not a no. cake. Like it's, like, it's not a cakewalk if op- you want to yeah. live abroad. And I know you moved there in, it was February of 2017. Is that right? Yeah, almost exactly. Um, four years so ago. I, remember looking at your you had like the biggest apartment out of all the teachers at your school and it was like 420 420 blaze at square feet and everyone else was like 315 three and i'm like these are you go home and it's like you are in like a shoebox and and so yeah. it's the it's the antithesis of picking fruit right 
a hundred percent. I just sent um, Brad the photo, but I will say though, it was the first time that I ever lived by myself. So for a lot of these kindergartens, they provide you with uh, housing. So it's like free housing and they pay you a good salary on top of that. It was amazing to live by myself for the first time and while navigating this new city and life and all of that stuff. So I think that was one of the bright spots of the year was just like having this kind of independence. And that was my theme and kind of goal for the year was just to kind of make life on my own terms. But I will say probably consistently throughout the whole year, it was living for the weekend. In the first six months, that looked like going on weekend trips, exploring Seoul, like having every activity planned out on Saturday and Sunday to make the most of it. And I think probably also because I knew I didn't want to stay longer than a year. Um, And then the second half of the year, as like I had built more of a community and uh, made more friends, it was more about the nightlife, which was also very fun. And Brad, I feel like it's like an adult playground is how my partner describes it. It's like everything is open. Tell me, tell me more. <laughs> we got bowling alleys. We got karaoke. We got a spa with jacuzzis and steam rooms and saunas. You do anything you want at 4 a.m. It's the craziest. I've that's, never experienced anything like that before. That, that's where I live. I actually had friends who taught abroad. I had a friend who taught abroad in South Korea, and they described some of this to me, and I just thought, you know, I don't know if I would have made it out. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, and he, and he there's people who there's people out. who are there for like five, ten years. You know, find a find a partner, and they just are like they become soul. Soul becomes them. <laughs> they become soul. And it is it, like it is just such an amazing city, and I miss the city a lot. But there are things that come along with living in a foreign place that just make everything more difficult, right? Like, yeah. Going, and can I yeah. can I touch on that a little bit? But yeah. as it pertains to you specifically. Uh, as a young American woman living mm-hmm. there, were there any kind of cultural gaps you had to bridge? Were there any big leaps you had to make or pressures you felt where you existed in their society maybe differently than other Korean women? I don't know. What did, what did that look like? I think it was less about being American and more just about being a foreigner. Like that's what they call anyone who's not from Korea there, which I know mm-hmm. sounds simple, but foreigners, right? And I think there's a few pieces to it. So first, I felt myself kind of conforming a little bit to a lot of the things that are prevalent in Korea, having to do with like beauty and plastic surgery is huge there, makeup, everything, like everyone looks perfect all of the time. Everyone's dressed really nicely. The um, It's very common for couples to go out matching with their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend and like full head to toe hat, that's, shirt. That's awesome trousers so, shoes so botox first month you were there just straight to the exactly. <laughs> straight to the botox exactly no but like obviously i didn't do well not obviously i didn't do any of that um i didn't plastic surgery botox anything like that but i felt like Thank goodness you you start i don't know i started wearing more makeup and like these things that you care about how you're perceived because their image is everything so i think that was one piece i think also like for the most part, foreigners or like white people specifically are idolized in a lot of ways there. And a lot of their plastic surgery is to make people look more Western. Mm -hmm. So nose jobs, they get eyelid surgery. I have a friend who her mom booked her in for an eyelid surgery appointment where they like, I don't know, like cut a crease. So it's more of a Western eye booked her in on her 18th birthday. Didn't tell her, just took her there. So like, that piece. So because I was a foreigner, people want to take photos with you a lot of the time. And that's really nice. 
But then there's the alternative where uh, it's like living in a black mirror episode or something like that. Kind of like people, you can tell people are like, sometimes people give you a hard time. Like you're generally, you dress a bit more conservatively on your shoulders and like on your top half. At least when I was there, I think it's changed a bit now. But um, I had like an older woman come up and like give me some dirty looks and pull up my straps because I was wearing something that was too thin. And so like things like that, it was very small, but it was just those micro interactions that were just like, oh, okay, yeah, this is not, it's not great. It doesn't feel great. And I think because I didn't speak Korean, like I tried learning it and I can read it, but people just don't really respond to you a lot of the time or... And it, Taxi drivers don't give you the time of day. Yeah, won't pick you up. But it sounds horrible saying it like this, but I would say generally in my experience, it was really positive and I have amazing Korean friends, but it's just those little things that add up over the course of time that made me ready to leave after a year. Mm. All right. So moving on, uh, you said you were ready to kind of leave when when this position ended for you. And I guess it's a contract, right? Did you sign a contract in South Yeah, Korea? yeah, 12 months, right. which is pretty standard. Yeah, so the contract is up. You said you're ready to move on. I feel like, and you alluded it to it earlier, there's this process here of expanding your circle of comfort. Mm. You moved to New Zealand, same language, somewhat foreign. You had some connections there. Then South Korea, not the same language, completely different culture, right? You're expanding this circle. And then the big one. You leave South Korea to go backpacking by yourself around Asia for six months. Did that feel like you unlocked a new level in a video game? Were New Zealand and South Korea stages you had to pass through to be able to solo travel? I feel like for me, yes. And I think for many people, maybe you could just go straight into solo traveling and you don't need to level up. But for me, it was really important to go through those different phases because I knew that I was capable of it. And it's not that I ever doubted that I you know, couldn't do it, but it was that I had the tools to help me navigate this journey. And the first month, Nate and I were together. So it was almost like Nate passed the baton, the Asia backpacking baton, and like showed me some of those things that he was your Yoda for that. Exactly. Yeah. I was exactly. I also gonna say I think, you know, we I was like, I wanna go to new places. And so a lot of the places we went were places that like were kind of tier two in Southeast Asia. Accessible, um, easier. No, I just say like Taiwan, Laos, northern Thailand, which I'd you know, we'd been before. Okay. Um, Myanmar. And so yeah. Yeah. like these are places that are like, you know, you're it's a bit more challenging for, for no moment. Did I doubt you weren't able to, you weren't going to crush it because yeah, you kind of entered with this confidence. I had a bit of this, like whatever, like let's do it on the way. Like, <laughs> and I told Brad before this, I was like, we got to the airport and like, mm. you're like, Oh, where are your, I was like, man, that this was so easy. Like we made it. And then she's like, we're not on the flight yet. And I was like, that's probably a good thing to say. And then like, where are your visas? Like, wait, you need visas to Myanmar. And then we're like, Taylor's like, are you kidding me? And I was like, you know what? She's going to be fine. She's going to be better off than me um, <laughs> once once I leave. what? Um, so Taylor, like after this month, where did you go and how long were you on the road for kind of to fill in me? Because it all seemed like a blur, um, A, and B, just so the listeners can be like, yo, like she went where? Yeah. So I, I should have mapped this out actually. But so we had gone to Myanmar 
and then you went home and then I flew to Hanoi in Vietnam. Um, and I hadn't, again, hadn't been to any other countries in, in Asia. And so Olivia, my best friend from Korea came and met me for like four weeks, I think. So we did Vietnam North to South together. I mean, you guys know the drill, but just like the most incredible overall experience. I think it maybe is one of my top two favorite countries. Can I say that? The food, the scenery, the people, like it's just, it totally blew my mind. And it was almost like, Nate, you were like, you know, spread your wings and fly, go have your, have your Asia experience. And I think, again, all of those experiences prior to that just allowed me to just fully enjoy it. So anyway, so that, so we went Hanoi, um, down to Ho Chi Minh and then went into Cambodia and then did um, part of Cambodia and some islands and then went to Copenhagen, which is where the half moon party was, which I won't go into. Um, yeah, we're, we're not going to go into our half moon party either. No. <laughs> I ended up going by myself, which is Full moon. a long story. But um, and then I went to Olivia broke off and then I went to Kotao, which is right next to Copenhagen. Did you guys, Nate, I know you didn't go there. Have you been there, no, Brad? Kotao, the like the scuba diving island. Yeah. Close to, no, I didn't. I didn't either. I had other I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know at the time, but I guess there had been, um, sounds quite dark, but like some people were, some tourists were killed there like a year or two prior, which I didn't know before I went. Which is strange for Thailand. Thailand is incredibly safe across the board usually, particularly for foreigners. Yeah, yeah. And I, I felt it on the island, but I had had this fear of scuba diving. Like I was just terrified of it, but it was something that I really wanted to do. So I went and did a course there, um, again, was by myself. And I felt like because I was by myself then after having been with Nate and with a friend again, like I just had the confidence that I could do it. And that even if something was not easy, like I could navigate my way there, right? Like, okay, what boat do I take? What train do I take? What airplane? Like, how do I get from A to B? How do I, all of these things that when you have someone else there, you can bounce off or like, if you're tired, you can lean on them. And when it's you, like you're it. And so it, even though it is so draining and exhausting, it just like, it lights this fire in you. That's like, I can literally do anything (laughs) again, the rocket fuel to like propel you through all of these crazy situations. Um, Yeah. It's, you keep having victories every day, right? You keep a comp and, they can be small victories. They can be finding your way to your hotel mm. without knowing the language or asking anybody. And somehow you navigate and find your way through the city. But it's almost every day you're building and adding to your portfolio, to your yeah. repertoire of a, yeah. as a traveler. Enough random experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And they just add up, add up. And next thing you know, it's like going to the gym every day. Next thing you yeah. know, after a couple of months, you were just I'm super rich. human. You're like, throw anything at me show me a train schedule that i can't read i will figure it out i will get to you know i will get to cambodia yeah it's it's personal little victories every day that you add up and i think that's a hidden thing about travel Mm -hmm. that people just don't understand you're kind of just building i don't know almost kind of like a new identity or a secret superhuman power i i think that's really cool and that it really sinks in for solo traveling. No, mm. you guys. Yeah. 
with me yeah, without I, me? I think I think you're it's sink no, or definitely swim? with you. I think there's the the example I have is like after my two months, it's a great bookend because like the week before I um, left for Asia, I saw my friend Andy, and mm-hmm. obviously you guys both know Andy. Shout out Andy. Love you, Andy. You're the best. Um, we I like saw him, and then I picked him up like after going through Cambodia and then solo traveling into Thailand. And then I pick him up from the airport with a scooter at like 1230 AM. And he's like, never been to Asia before. And I'm like, get on the back, put this helmet on. The helmet's like says pink pussies. And, and you're, and you're in Bangkok, which is a in Bangkok, beehive yeah. of a city. Oh, it's nuts. And he's like, just, he's like, all right, get on the back of this scooter, ride into Bangkok. It's 30 miles. And I must've been, he must've been like, who All right, Nate, 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 he might have gone a bit too far. Like, <laughs> this whole Asia thing's been a bit too much. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I forgot. I, I Just quickly, after Thailand, I went to the Philippines. And then from the Philippines, I went to Malaysia. And then from Malaysia, I went to Indonesia. And so you were doing weeks at a time in these places, I guess, right? You were slow traveling? Yeah, exactly. Which I think is a slightly different approach than... Growing up, our family would always be on that quick, gotta move it every other day. Two days, whatever. come on. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. I just well, thought that's how everyone did it. But No, and that's the backpacker mentality too, I think, for a lot of, well, it, it depends. See, as much as you can in it's, a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, it's just blaze it, right? Rip through places three, four days, see the sites, have a party, and just keep it moving yeah. because you're on a tighter schedule. You've got a month to backpack Southeast yeah, exactly. Asia or two months where you just kind of naturally have to keep it moving. Okay, so we've got we've got all that. I think the table set. I want to dig into something that I've been looking forward to talk to you about for a while. So, I was remarking to a friend of mine. He's an old bull too, Nate. Uh, One of the old bulls, and he's a fellow traveler. He and I began backpacking 15 years ago. In those days, you hardly ever met another American, mm-hmm. and even less likely was meeting an American female traveler. And the unicorn of it all was meeting an American female solo traveler. (laughs) The crazy thing is all this has changed now, but I've particularly noticed in the last five years, there have been a lot more female solo and tandem backpackers. You were part of this wave. This was 2017 for you, right? So could you sense being a part of this shift, part of this wave? I did. I think I met more female solo travelers from Europe and Australia and New Zealand, probably still. I think I probably only met a handful of solo American female travelers. That in itself surprised me a little bit. I mean, obviously you meet loads of people on the road, but there's this sort of understanding and camaraderie when you meet other solo female travelers and you just have this like immediate bond, right? Where you're like, I know the shit that you've been through, you know, some of the shit I've been through and we can like at least have that in common. I don't know. It's really special. And even again, I'm sure you guys know, but when you meet these people and share these experiences with someone that you've known for like one hour, sometimes you feel closer because they know exactly what you're going through, right? They are there with you. But if you try to explain this to someone at home or a family member or something, it's really hard. Like it's really difficult to share kind of you had to be their sort of experience. So mm-hmm. I definitely noticed, I think I was surprised by how many female solo travelers there were. I remember when we did the slow boat from Thailand mm-hmm. into Laos, you saw Laureen, um, our yeah. friend Laureen, is this 18-year-old girl, probably 5'2", smoking cigarettes, just fucking chill. She didn't care what happened though. 
And it was just like, I was, I think, I remember Taylor, you were like, are, is she serious? Like this, yeah, I remember it was like, uh, I was, I think we were both blown away with just how independent and yeah, like headstrong totally, she was. Totally. But you see a lot of those people on the road and it's, it's kind of comforting, right? A hundred percent. And honestly, it's like, I think from seeing her and people like her in times where I felt unsure or insecure or nervous about something being by myself I would just like channel that energy be like I know what the fuck I'm doing I can do this no one knows I'm nervous just start ripping cigarettes and (laughs) people like you run the damn place I'm gonna smoke my way out of this but it is I mean my dad our dad always says like fake it till you make it and I think that applied to me in a lot of senses Like for instance, going into a hostel, you know, like that moment, right? You walk into a hostel, there's like a common area or specifically in Asia, like at most hostels in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Everybody looks over as soon as you walk in. Everyone looks over as soon as you walk in. There's everyone's in a Hawaiian shirt or something, or there are shots taken or all of these things. (laughs) And it's so intimidating. It is so intimidating. And especially by yourself, you know, being in a, in a new situation and a new environment. And if this was happening at home, right? If this was in Denver or, you know, even in London, right? I'm not going to walk into a bar and introduce myself to a bunch of strangers. Like that's crazy, right? (laughs) But when you're in that situation, you have two choices, right? You can throw yourself in the deep end and say, fuck it, right? Like, again, what's the alternative? I may never see them again, so it doesn't really matter. So it kind of becomes a, a bit more palatable. And then you just have to do it. Right. And that's something where I would just say in my head, like, okay, actually this isn't very fun and they might not be willing to talk or, you know, maybe they don't want new friends, but like, we'll just give it a go. And I just walk up, smile on my face. And then I don't know if I ever had an experience where people were just unwilling to talk. And I think especially in backpacker culture, most people are willing to talk and maybe talk a little too much. And then yeah, you're stuck yeah. in a, a conversation, but can, can we stay in this space real quick? I think Nate and I have been pretty transparent that our perspective on traveling, particularly on this podcast, is one-sided, it's male-dominated, and historically the travel world has been covered by men for men. But in real time and on the ground now, do you feel like there's space for the female traveler on the road? Like when you walk into that hostel or when you go out into Hoi An, Vietnam, or somewhere in Thailand, do you feel like there's space for you? Is it... Is the world, is it changing there, the backpacking world or the traveling world? I think I noticed it more in some places than others. I think it's one thing to feel like you have space, but like at a very fundamental level to feel fairly safe. Like Mm. that is something that I'm always thinking about all of the time. And there were very few times... Maybe maybe one time where I really was like drinking a lot when I was by myself, but I was like with someone from my hostel that I knew. Like safety is key in all of my travel experiences. And I'm someone who's like maybe more of a worrier and nervous in general. So especially traveling, I'm always thinking about these things. I still always plan like try not to arrive anywhere at night or if I do like to a new place on at a train stop or a bus stop or a flight, or if I do at least have my transportation booked and my accommodation booked and all of those things. And I think that's one of the things that I noticed when listening to some of these other episodes from you guys is it sounds great to just like 
show up and not have a plan and you know it doesn't matter what time exactly but like i would never do that because right if if never say never but i would very rarely do that if it was within my control because i know the things that you know make for a bad situation and i can't control what everyone else is doing but i can control my own actions and if because i think it's really sad like in a lot of these stories where bad things happen to travelers on the road or female travelers specifically it's always like well why was she walking by herself or why was Mm -hmm. she drunk or why were you know all of these things which another conversation but sure it's like if if i can control these things then I will. And I think because of how the world is and with technology and all of those things, there is space for travelers and female travelers. It's made to, it easier. Exactly. Take the precautions or do the research or you know, find out all of the things that will make the trip more comfortable and safer for you. And at the end of the day, like it's about how much you you feel safe or because if I don't feel safe, I'm not gonna have like a good time, right? Yeah, and you getting stuck at a train station at one o'clock in the morning in Delhi is a lot different than Nate and I getting stuck at a train station at one o'clock in the morning in Delhi. So, yeah, there are those moments uh, for sure. I think that's a large part that this travel world that Nate and I and other males probably, well, I know we all take for granted. Safety is never Hmm. necessarily the first thing I'm always kind of thinking about. I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking about other things but um yeah as- two two white dudes over the six foot tall it's like <laughs> literally it's the walking definition of privilege and i think yeah yeah it is always good and i think even traveling with you for that month in asia it was good to have you kind of reframe in a lot of ways because i think i was i was 23 so like mm-hmm. i still figuring shit out but i think you really reframed a lot of that experience of what it's like to travel as a woman and i think that's why i wanted to get you on the pod was so you can kind of, even though you're you're way further down the line than that those conversations we had then, but that was incredibly beneficial to me. And uh, hopefully, and can I say this to any guys listening now who backpack and who travel and stuff like that? Listen to this. <laughs> yeah. This shit is real. Mm-hmm. And I always tell guys when we're backpacking and stuff like that, we have a responsibility to look after fellow female foreign travelers. Right? Mm-hmm. It's part and parcel of. Do it at home, um, though, too. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, at home, I mean, that's like, for me, that's a given. But particularly, it's it's so much more heightened abroad, right? Because mm-hmm. you stick out so much more. And there's the language barriers. There's the cultural norms. Guys, when you're backpacking, look out for the girls and hold it down as a as a community and stuff. And don't be creepy, because I think that's something, too, is I, yeah. like other, I experience other foreigners being not very savory folks and like taking advantage of situations where maybe girls were drinking too much. So I think it comes on like both men and women to like, look out for those situations. Like I would, you know, leave the bar with someone who needed help or, you know, someone I didn't know, but was staying at my hostel because you know that maybe that's not the best situation. To end up kind of on a, well, we'll see where this takes us. Nate. So I guess you kind of piggybacking off that, um, what are two or three big pieces of advice you would give any aspiring female travelers looking to hit the road? We we sprung this one on you. I know, I <laughs> Notes, know. We're, and we're, no we're not even to the quick, not even to the quick ten. I think if if you are an aspiring solo female traveler who maybe has has never done a trip by yourself, I think you start 
in a way that makes you feel comfortable. So again, maybe you don't want to jump into six months backpacking across Asia. Go an hour away from where you live now and have a day or a camping trip or stay overnight somewhere and do it by yourself, right? Resist the urge to bring a friend or a partner or a family member and just try it because I think you'll be surprised by how easily you sink into this habit. And it sounds crazy, right? Like just doing something by yourself. But I know I had never done it. Like I said, like I had never gone out to eat by myself, let alone gone on an overnight stay somewhere. So I think if your aspiration is to work up to something bigger and to do something bigger on your own, like start now, start locally, like just start doing things by yourself so that Mm. you really build that in yourself. Like I can do, I can do it. Like I can do anything. And then it's just one again, Brad, the levels, right? You're just expanding your comfort zone. What did you call it? Expanding your circle of comfort. Yeah. Um, so go to, so go to Chipotle by yourself exactly. to tonight and eat alone. <laughs> Do not take it to your car or home. Eat it right there by yourself. Any anything else stick out to you? Yeah. I like that one though, Taylor. Yeah. One one piece honestly, uh, not to harp on the safety piece, but like if you're ever in doubt of something, always spend the extra money on a place to stay or taking a private taxi somewhere, or just again, making those little adjustments. That was one of the things that my dad said to me when I left was like, I know obviously you have limited money and you don't want to be falling out at the four seasons or whatever, but you can't put a price on your safety. And so just keep that in mind. If, if there are those moments where you feel like, Oh, this maybe doesn't feel right. Or you get a weird vibe or just anything that you're flagged, just, spend the money, take the time and, and be safe. And I think that's important for women on the road by themselves. Yeah. I think that's a great tip for sure. And just go now, do it now. Yes. Go now. Maybe not in the pandemic, but yeah, now, yeah, yeah. whenever that looks yeah. good. All right. We're going to finish off with our, what are we calling this, Nate? Just quick, quick, quick 10, quick, rapid 10. Our fast fire. Fast <laughs> fire 10. Oh God. This is so Did, scary. Yeah, so basically the idea is 10 questions. Brad and I will alternate. You know, some some easy, some hard. Some will knock you off, but in general, just trying to get some quick hits and some good information. Yeah, and it's from, uh, um, it's first thing that comes to your mind. If it's yes or no or one-word answers, that's fine. If we feel like I we think, need to yeah. dig into things a little more, we'll dig in. Okay. Yeah. And were these awesome. made so, – Do you, you don't ask everyone the same 10? No. We, no, we got, we, I mean, there's a few – overlapping ones but in general it's it's uh their guest or topic um, tailored for taylor yes nailed it all right nate uh let's get us started what you got what is your first round draft pick when you pack your bag headphones um okay is that boring no i was gonna say underwear but uh, that felt more boring boring. yeah that's what brad's answer was in the last pod so i mean yeah definitely more boring (laughs) that's right all right taylor Hostel, hotel, or Airbnb? I think in your 20s, it's a rite of passage to do hostels and then maybe pivot after your. No, no, just one answer. One answer. (laughs) Nate, keep it moving. Craziest party destination on the road you've been to? Oh, um, Haido, uh, no, Dalat in Vietnam. Oh, yeah, Dalat was fucking crazy. 
Was Dalat where they had the canyoning and the, the waterfalls and stuff? Yeah, like yeah, that? canyoning. But then they had like the the um the temple bar, like the maze it was like bar. The maze, the maze bar. It was like it's seven floors. I for completely surprised I've never mentioned this on the podcast. It's like seven floors of like caves that they've made in like a warehouse space. I don't even know what it is. Very rare you go to an establishment and you're like, I want to explore this shit. But that was that's what what it was. It was amazing. I, I okay. feel like like there's you literally have to crawl through tiny tunnel holes and like up ladders and it's like out of your dreams or nightmares it's crazy i'm surprised and, you didn't say vang vien because that was that no i was gonna say that but then i thought oh um that's still the worst to this day vang vien is the worst hangover i think i've had uh i've got a picture of that that's a sh- shouts hangover. to bang vien oh, uh we're, we're moving on speaking of banging um <laughs> great brad thank you <laughs> Dating apps on the road, Taylor. Yes or no? Uh, not for me. No. Bullshit. Really? You, I, Taylor. The story. Different. The story. I wanted. To, I was like, this is the one we need the story on. Is when we were at the Olympics. Oh, Pyeongchang. the Olympics. I wasn't on the road though. I was living okay, there. Okay, fair point. Well, okay. Abroad, yeah, so abroad. She was on Tinder road. and she matched with this guy who was a German <laughs> bobsledder. Yeah. And then we went to the we went to the um, gold medal medal ceremony. We're like, all right. And then it's like in all these random events, and it's like alpine skiing, yeah. And then it's like bobsled. We're like, Taylor, that's the motherfucker you matched with on Tinder. And it was like the guy we watched him get a gold medal. Oh my god! Oh, that was I forgot about that. But it was the. And I the I literally of, watched tears fall from his eyes as he's getting crowned with this gold medal, and I thought, yeah. And you could have been wiping those tears from him. Yeah, no. And I think what was crazy about it is like it was the bobsled where it was like two guys on the same thing. So it was like not like the most attractive sport. Like it's like, oh yeah, I met for the gold medal Olympian. Like, oh, which one? Oh, is it the one where he's like on top of another dude flying down <laughs> the bobsled? I remember I thought the whole, the whole scenario was just absolute jokes. All right. What All right. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> First place you're going when the pandemic lifts? Oh, Colorado. But other than seeing family, I think Greece. Okay. Respect. On the destination train, what's one destination you'll always go back to? New Zealand. Yeah, I figured that would be the case. Uh, Single tastiest bite on the road. I'm not disappointed. That's a good choice. Single tastiest bite on the road. Soup dumplings. Soup dumplings. Yeah, it's mine too. Oh my God. Just guys, it's the you, perfect ratio bite of everything. Yeah, in Taipei. Unbelievable. It's a soup. It's a solid. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Olivia yeah. cried. I will say, Olivia, my friend who I traveled with in Vietnam, she's a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. And so she would plan some of our days around like food. Everything was about food. And we went to this random lady called the Lunch Lady, one of his top recommended places to go in Ho Chi Minh and she's like sobbing as she's eating this soup she's like oh my god it's so good it's so good thank you Tony (laughs) but it is it's like because she has such an appreciation for it it just makes you appreciate it more anyway well I'm staying in that lane here it's not Bourdain but a travel book or movie that influenced you the most oh that's a good one I read I'll say this short and then if you want the story. Uh, Wild by the person whose name is Cheryl Strayed. Thank you. Yes. Um, I read that on the slow boat between with, uh, to Lao with Nate, like two days on this boat, nothing really? else to do. 
and I, what was I doing? Drinking in the back with the <laughs> with the uh, rest of the crew. Um, oh, that sixty six year old uh, man from oh, Liverpool. My yeah. God. Yes, exactly. But I I hadn't been by myself yet on that trip, and I remember reading that book and just thinking again, like, if I'm Cheryl ready. can do this, yeah, like I'm ready to rock. That's awesome. I th- I don't think you're alone. That book has really just changed. Well, I think I'm this not gonna is speak. This... For, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna shut up. I'm not gonna speak for women. <laughs> Nate, Thank, Nate, Thank you, Nate. Brad. This is this Nate, is probably my know. toughest my toughest question. Shoot, root, Mary, which is a more polite way of saying kill, Mary, fuck. Shoot, uh, root. L- okay. London, Soul, Wellington. Sorry, what is the root? Um, root is fuck. Like a like a, you're spending a weekend with them in a romantic fashion. I don't want to get into this because you're my sister, but Nate you know made what I'm this saying? all like, complicated like by speaking in idioms. Shoot <laughs> is. Don't go. Yeah. So it's no, no. Mary, sorry. Kill. It's, it's Mary. Fuck. Kill. <laughs> London. <laughs> London. London. Soul or Wellington. So this which are you gonna do? To which one? Fucked ones? up question. Did you write knew, this, Nate? Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, this is gonna just spend her head in circles. <laughs> so okay. which one are you marrying? Oh my god. I think I'm gonna marry Wellington. Shout out to the world's smallest capital. Uh, I think I'm gonna shoot soul mm. and i think yeah maybe fuck london <laughs> interesting i think for me i'm not i'm not touching this <laughs> i'm no i think i'm gonna kill london fuck soul Mary i Wellington. can't say that about the place that i'm living yeah that's true but what i'm trying to say is like soul is like the definition of root <laughs> um <laughs> okay adult <laughs> playground 24 hours i know mayhem. that is true that is true I'm not touching this with the brother and sister on the podcast. So we're moving on. Thank you. (laughs) What's the dumbest thing you've seen Nate do while traveling? Oh my God. I wish that you would have told me these in advance because I could have come up with so many good ones. It's funny because now I'm just like really going through. I'm like, are you, do you have one in mind? Is that why? um... Well, no, I'm no, we don't have any. Well, okay. Obviously the, like, it's not funny, but the dumbest one was showing up to our flight to Myanmar and not having visas. Mm-hmm. So I had like, but this is, it's partially my fault too, because I asked no due him diligence. <laughs> and I didn't look it up myself because I trust my brother. I put my trust into oh. my baby bro. Do you hear that name? And... I know it, it hurt. No, it hurt. I felt like an idiot. And also then I, I, I couldn't go down to the Bangkok embassy. We had to fly to Bangkok. And then I, I had such bad, Taylor had food poisoning, but I had like such bad food poisoning <laughs> that I was like, <laughs> I think it was from the hot dogs we had. We had Dairy Queen hot dog in Vientiane, which is that is the dumbest thing I've ever done. It was the only thing that was open in the airport. Was this like vintage Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen. Yeah. More often than not, Western restaurants abroad, particularly oh. dodgy looking ones, are are what's going to get you sick. You're 100%. better off eating pad thai cooked in a walk yeah. on the corner of a dusty yeah. street in Bangkok than you are walking into what a What meat would that have been? I don't even know what meat that 100%. would have been in the hot dog. Well, do you know what, though? It was, like, so unfortunate because the place that we were staying that night, it was, like, a, a hotel, motel, whatever. And the bathroom was, like, a glass... It was glass wall. Oh, so, okay. so you so, saw the car, you saw the carnage. Worst you thing from each other. was hearing it because uh, it was both oh, ends for no. Nate. And so oh, I just, no, no, I, no, no! I just no, hear TMI. I, too much. He's like walking to the bathroom, and I just hear him say, "Oh shit!" And then <laughs> it was. And then you heard it. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, that's why I said headphones. So you just pop those babies in, and yeah, you yeah. are ready. I to also go. think. 
I'm an incredibly loud vomiter, so it's like you know you get you need like you need like the 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 things on your headphones that are like really um. I'll play like Enya noise on canceling. repeat. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Noise uh, canceling. La 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 la. All right. All right, kids. That was Thor. Let's uh thanks for doing that. I hope you had as much fun as we did putting those together. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, thanks so much for taking this time out. I know there's a there's a big time difference. We've encroached on the eight hours. Yes, eight hours the, of... the eight hours of sleep is getting late in London and you've got to work tomorrow. So we'll let you go. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for bringing your voice, your perspective, your stories, and and all that good stuff. It was a pleasure to talk to you. So thanks Love so talking much. to you, Tay. Like always, proud of you. And again, thanks for unearthing some, uh, some information that I hadn't heard before. Well, honestly, it's been such a joy. And I think you guys embody it, but... I think long story short with all of this stuff, it's just you'll never regret going now. And I think as time goes on and especially just getting older, like it's such an amazing time to start doing this stuff now and traveling. And I know both of you have been traveling for a long time, but I just think investing like there's really no better investment than investing in yourself in these experiences. So do it while you can. Do it while you can stomach a 25-bed dorm and... <laughs> Seven-hour bus ride. Exactly, because you'll never regret it, and it's just building this like fundamental piece of who you are. So thanks, guys. Yep, no arguing for me. All right, thank you, listeners. As always, catch us on one... Wait, what's... <laughs> I was going to give my Instagram handle. The Road Provides Paws on Instagram. Love to hear your feedback. Yeah. This is The Road Provides. Ooh, I did it again. No, that's not even it. <laughs>